Well, welcome everyone to the Robin Walter Show. God bless you today. We've got so much to fit in, like I can't even imagine. I got two programs here. Um, I can only fit part of it in. We're going to get as far as we possibly can. You've heard of three-point sermons. This is going to be a five-point message. Um, maybe six, maybe seven, maybe eight. Whatever I can't fit in spills to next week. But a review of the election and events the likes of which just blows me away. I was up so much of the night last night with different things that I feel like God has shown me about this election, what is happening, where there are mistakes, and so forth. But to go forward, I've got to go back uh, last week. I have to restate some things in case you missed last week's program or if you didn't to remind you that I was very, very upset at a host of Republicans, starting with Trump, but really going down to Hannity, honestly, who's desperately now trying to walk back uh, his predictions of the red wave, the red tsunami. Newt Gingrich, Kevin McCarthy, right on down the line, they're all talking about the red wave, the red tsunami, and if you recall my two key words from last week, shut up. This was a huge mistake. They're just of the big mouths with the big mics doing nothing more than replicating Hillary Rodden, Rodham Clinton's mistake in 2016, talking about how they were going to cream the Republicans, going to cream the Republicans. And what happened? It caused Democrats to not show up at the polls. Hillary lost, and Hillary's only regret about 2016 is that she did not actively engage more or greater attempt at cheating because she didn't think she needed to. The Democrats stayed home. The Republicans won. A God thing. And how the Republicans last week, I said, were bound to screw it up by overstating the power and strength of the movement, so to speak, going to blow them out, rewrite the political map, all of this garbage, and what happens? Nothing. From Newt to Trump to Hannity, who I like, I said, desperately is trying to salvage and temper his own message. I mean, don't get me wrong, I love these guys. But I was saying last week, before the election, shut up or you will repeat history. That proved to be a prophetic warning. These guys cost the Republicans, at least in part cost Republicans, a huge victory. So no, there's no red wave. There is no red tsunami. Intent on snatching defeat from the jaws of victory, the red wave, the red tsunami, turned out to be nothing more than the wave machine in the kids' pool at Splash Mountain. You see, a tsunami isn't worth anything and is meaningless other than to a few ships out in the ocean. 
It's only meaningful when it hits shore. A wave is nothing until it actually makes it to shore. So the Republicans who were deluded into thinking that they don't need to vote, is that what happened? Yes. The Republicans deluded into thinking that their vote wasn't necessary to have this huge impact is like the wave never making it to shore. If you don't get a wave not getting to shore is like not getting to the poles. It really doesn't matter. It really isn't a wave until you make a beachhead with your vote. How many Christians didn't vote? How many Christians aren't registered to vote? How many Christians think that uh, politics is just too, too, too dirty to get involved and then complain about the results because they stayed home? And frankly, I am upset at the Republican big mouths that all seem to want to be the first ones to proclaim a Republican tidal wave so that after the election they can be the ones to say that they were the first ones to predict the big tidal wave, which turned out to be a nothing burger. Oh, yeah, we might win the House, might. They're already reducing the projected number of House seats picked up by the Republicans. The re the, the projections are now been reduced down to 220, only two more than what is critical for the majority, and that isn't even certain. And what do we have? We've got Kevin McCarthy and some others fiddling around, dinking around about who's going to be the next Speaker of the House. It's, it's, it's like the three, they, they remind me of the Three Stooges. They're like kids. They can't, they can't wait till Christmas to open their present. It's so disconcerting because there isn't anybody with greater conservative credentials than I. I will put my conservative credentials against anyone in this country. And I am upset at my own family, so to speak, if you will. Well, that's point number one. No red wave, no tsunami. Point number two, the biggest offender here just have to say it, is Donald Trump. He's got the biggest microphone. And why? Why does he have to shoot his mouth off about what he's doing and what he's doing for all these candidates that are going to win and how great he is? We're actually going to get to that later in this program because you need to know. But his ego rose up higher than for the good of the party, for the good of the cause. I mean, yes, he endorsed, his endorsements helped without question in the primaries, but not so much in the general election. You can point to a few that he did and a few that he didn't, so you really don't know how much it really helped. Really, I mean, it's, it, it is not that clear. So, the question that I'm going to rise here under uh, raise under point number two: Were the endorsements by Trump so that when those people got elected, there would be a cadre of elected loyalists that would now help ensure that he, Trump, had no meaningful opposition 
to the nomination. I would never have entertained that thought until four days before the election, which I will get to. Four days before. I would never have entertained such a thought. But we'll get to that. Now, oddly, maybe a bit of a digression here, but do you know who experienced, or not experienced, that's the wrong word, exercised the greatest wisdom, even if by accident, in the lead-up to the election? It hurts to say this. Gavin Newsom. He got out the Democratic vote, so much so that California now enshrined murder your children right up to the birthing table by two-thirds majority. Two-thirds of the people in California. But he got out the vote. And how did he do it? Because he was talking about how badly the Dems were doing, how the Democrats screwed up the messaging, how terrible the platform was. And, and in his narrative, if by design was to give him credit if it was by design I got to give him credit because his tactics were far better tactics than the big mouth Republicans because the Democrats did turn out they did come out <clears throat> and you know what this reminds me of I've just got to go to this passage let's get to the Bible here before I get too carried away Luke 16 verses 7 through 9 Okay, so we have those who are ostensibly righteous, certainly made up of some Christians. We have those who have no Christian credentials at all, like Newsom. And listen to what Jesus says here in Luke 16, starting in verse 7. And he's talking about actually an unjust steward who had been pilfering the money box but got out of it by cutting these deals with the master's creditors. And he and Jesus is saying here that he said one to another, how much do you owe? This is the steward. And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said unto him, take a bill and write it for four score. In other words, for 80. And it says here, and the Lord commended the unjust steward. Commended the unjust steward. Because he had done wisely. For the children of this world, i.e., the Newsoms, are in their generation wiser than the children of light. Why? We will get to that. I will answer all of the why questions with one passage in Scripture. He goes on to say, then, and I say unto you, make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when you fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. We have Gavin Newsom acting more wisely as an unjust steward of his role as the governor of the state and all that he is supposed to do, acting and behaving more wisely than the sons of light, the Republicans running around trying to be the first one to predict the the tidal wave, and now being embarrassed, Newt Gingrich never needs to be on TV again. <clears throat> Picking up 47 seats. Baloney. He wanted to be the first to say it. Unwise. 
unwise, even though he may be righteous, he's unwise. And why? We will answer that question. So, James Carville, certainly no friend of the Republicans, he's a Democratic strategist, comes out and said that the Republicans should have picked up 57 seats in the House, 10 more than Newt was saying. But he's a Democrat. He can say this now. He said they should have. The Dems didn't. He said the Democrats didn't deserve it. He said the Republicans gave it to us. I mean, there were many non-Republicans, in other words, basically independents, minorities, coming to the Republican side because of the obvious. Runaway inflation, runaway crime, runaway butchering of children's genitalia and pushing for gender this and that, runaway illegal immigration. The perfect storm for Republicans to blow out the Democrats, but egos got in the way. They wanted to be first to predict the red wave, and sadly, Trump, as much as we owe to him, and we do owe a lot to him, was one of the key offenders. Maybe the biggest fender. I mean, all of these people coming over to the Republican side. But then also there is this association of Trump that turned toxic. You got these people that have agreed with him but never liked him. Those are the never Trumpers. They hate the guy because of his ego. Big ego, yeah, he was a Cyrus. We needed him. He fulfilled his role. But they never liked him, but they were becoming sympathetic to Republican talking points, Republican policies, and the case at large. But then Trump's endorsement and wanting to take credit for all of this became a, a personal, the personal animosity, the anti-Trump baggage was a needless association that, had it not been there, would have allowed, and in fact, indeed, would have compelled these people, these independents, to vote based on the issues and not the negative persona that became attached to these issues. The rampant crime, the rampant illegal immigration, the rampant butchering of all things godly as it relates to gender, the rampant inflation. But they couldn't shake the personality dislike of Trump on that stage. The bottom line here is that the negativity of Trump association, as in the eyes of the independents and maybe even some Democrats that were going to vote Republican, was more powerful than all the evil that the Democrats produced that were driving them to the Republican side. Now, this isn't all Trump's fault. I'm just saying his ego was so in the way that it leads us to number three, the DeSantis factor. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, I have switched. I mean, if Trump is a candidate, I will heartily and zealously support him because notwithstanding the in-your-face ego, everything he will propose will be better than everything that any Democrat would possibly propose. 
But I switched four days before the election as to who I would support. Why did I switch to DeSantis four days before? Four days before all the other Republicans are now talking about DeSantis. Four days before everybody else is seeing that. And I'm not saying that I'm the see-all-know-all prophetic voice here, but, but God gave this to me last week. And four days before that, when he came out, I switched when Trump came out and called him Ron DeSanctimonious. And and DeSantis wins by a margin of 19%. It was only 4% that Donald Trump took Florida two years ago. But the political relevance here of attacking DeSantis could only be for one reason. He wants him out of the way. Forget the fact that that coming out against DeSantis, calling him Ron DeSanctimonious, was the functional equivalent of campaigning for Charlie Crist, the Democrat. I mean, four days before the election, I just, I hear the unbelievable, the unheard of, the unthinkable. The childish jealousy of Donald Trump sensing the rise of a successor. For me, it was unforgivable. Understand that the, the, the attack by Trump on DeSantis really is the equivalent, was the equivalent of campaigning for Charlie Crist. He put his own political aspirations and ego to be more important than the good of the country, the good of the party, the good of Florida. Why? Because if he can dethrone Ron DeSantis in Florida, and Florida loses, I mean, he loses Florida, DeSantis is eliminated. He's eliminated the competition for the presidency. He's eliminated a man who is just as strong in his conviction as Donald Trump, but less brash, certainly less brutish. He's eliminated a godly man, arguably more so than Donald Trump, and I'm convinced of that. He's eliminated a man in that DeSantis hasn't descended to the below-the-belt tactics that Trump is now doing, which, subsequent to the election, it's a full barrage against DeSantis, even pledging that he's going to bring out dirt that he's got on DeSantis. Let's destroy my ally so that I can be the, so that I can be the, the presidential nomination of the Republicans. Remember, he will have eliminated, if he could have a man, honestly, more righteous. More righteous than Donald Trump. And, and how do you know that? This is what flipped me. I cannot... I, do I hate Trump? No. He just needs to get out of the way. He's done a lot of great things. I love him for everything he's done. I love him for what he stands for. But right now... This man's ego is in the way. And I will show you the biblical paradigm and precedent in just a few minutes. And it is undeniable. 
But this is a man, I'm calling Ron DeSanctimonious. Why would you call somebody that name? Why would you give them that appellation? What is sanctimonious? Well, that's someone who thinks that they're holier than thou. But that's not what Ron DeSantis has said about them themselves. This is what Donald Trump is saying about DeSantis. It's Trump saying that DeSantis thinks he's holier than thou. Well, the fact of the matter is, he is holier than Donald Trump. And that's the problem. It is the purity of what DeSantis has spoken, his gutsiness, but with a tempered attitude that has made him so likable and the envy and maybe the new torchbearer for the Republican Party. In essence, Trump's jealousy here brought him to the point before the campaign was over, before DeSantis had a chance to win a badly needed state. Trump was so scared of him, he had to accuse him essentially of false piety. And the only time you would accuse somebody of false piety is when that person's piety genuinely exceeds your own. The ego couldn't wait three days. So Donald Trump had to knife a man with less ego who was more righteous in the back. Donald Trump needs to be reminded of a few things. First of all, it was Trump that hated Brian Kemp so much because Brian Kemp apparently, in Trump's eyes, was not loyal enough to him, did not owe him the fealty that Trump believed he deserved, that in the course of the Georgia runoff, remember that whole thing where he came out and encouraged Republicans to stay at home and that their vote wasn't necessary because the election was rigged? That's how Warnock ultimately got elected. In other words, the reason we have all the problems in, well, not the, the reason, a reason we have the problems we have with a Senate controlled by the Democrats is honestly because Donald Trump facilitated unwittingly the Warnock victory in Georgia. He did. I mean, the Democrats owe their victory there Honestly, to Donald Trump. Trump took Florida by 4%. DeSantis won Florida by 14%. So this is another thing that Donald has to be reminded of, but he's not listening. He's not listening to McEnany. He's not listening to any of advisors. He's in such a fit of rage that DeSantis is so elevated that the New York Post, who's been one of the biggest supporters of Trump came out and said, DeSantis is the future. Trump went ballistic against the Post. He's ballistic against Fox. He's ballistic against anybody who has the audacity to say that, speak things that Trump's ego will not accommodate. 
But this is the next thing Trump has to remember. Trump can win the nomination without Florida. But he cannot win the general election without Florida. He cannot. The fact of the matter is Donald Trump needs Ron DeSantis more than Ron DeSantis needs Donald Trump. It hurts for me to say this, or to say these things I'm saying. Because I've just been, I've been the big fan of Trump right up until he torched DeSantis before DeSantis had a chance to even win the election because he had to get, he had to try to maintain the first place status for the Republican primary. Now, I've said why, why, why. I've got two answers to the why. The first one is specifically about Trump and DeSantis. The second thing I'm going to share, gosh, if I can get to it, is what the word says about the Republicans' chest-butting and blowhard attitude about walking away with this election comes from the Bible, too. The first thing, though, what is the biblical paradigm for the Trump-DeSantis situation? It's Saul and David. We're, we're back to the Bible, folks, right back to where we should be. Is this a paradigm? Absolutely. So, I want to just say that... I'm not writing Donald Trump off. I thank him for so much. But I'm here to issue him a second warning that it's going to be the second part of the Saul and David comparison. The biblical basis here is that Saul, I mean, just consider, you might want to write this down. Send this program around. Compare Saul and Donald Trump. Each was chosen by God. There's no question in my mind but what God tapped Donald Trump. He was the Cyrus. He was the bull in the china shop, which we needed. We needed a wrecking ball. He didn't get to finish the job because, yes, I think the election was stolen and he should still be in office. But that's not the way it turned out. Was Saul chosen by God? Absolutely. Saul, Saul was loved by Samuel. He was loved by the people when he came in. God even had him speaking the word of God. I mean, point number two is to this comparison. Saul prophesied. David, I'm sorry, Donald, Donald Trump was saying more and more biblical things. He started to quote some scripture. Saul was a factor in David's rise to power. He brought him into Saul's house. He ate at Saul's table. He became a favored party with Saul. Donald Trump helped DeSantis rise to power. DeSantis was a a darling for a while. But then what happened? 
Saul killed his thousands. Trump took Florida by 4%. David killed his ten thousands. DeSantis took Florida by 19%. The people started to chant and love Saul and sing, Saul killed his thousands, but David killed his ten thousands. The people are out there now saying, DeSantis is the future. He can do it. He's shown that in Florida. And then what happens to Saul? Saul is filled with rage. He's filled with envy. He's filled with jealousy and sets out to destroy David. What does Donald Trump do? He's filled with rage. He's filled with envy. He's filled with jealousy. And now he's setting out to destroy DeSantis. Saying he's even got dirt on DeSantis. Saul's hatred of David becomes obvious. Donald Trump's hatred of DeSantis has become obvious. Consider this. David, although he was chased and hunted and pursued for destruction by Saul, never badmouthed Saul. DeSantis, though he is now being hunted to be destroyed by Donald Trump, has never badmouthed Trump. The people turned against Saul. They've turned against Trump. The people now are turning toward David, turning towards this David, towards their DeSantis, like they turned towards David. Don't go away. We'll be right back. The Robin Walter Show is a listener-supported program. Your contribution goes to help as many people as possible to hear that the Word of God has answers to help you survive and even thrive in the dark days ahead in this country. We pledge to bring you the critical information you need to make informed decisions in this age where big tech and big media have conspired to rid our country of everything Christian. Please send your support to Red Sky Radio, P.O. Box 99, Wickenburg, Arizona, 85358. That's Red Sky Radio, P.O. Box 99, Wickenburg, Arizona, 85358. Thank you. Well, I think my dog's a Democrat. And it breaks my heart to have to say an ugly thing like that. But there's a big old pile of evidence that all points towards the fact. Well, now you're probably wondering why I played that song with all that I've just said. Because I'm going to make the next brief biblical point because I've got to get on to the next biblical point. The Democrats are all evil. They don't hide it. They're right out there. They are like the nation of Israel with the ten tribes. They never had a godly king. They always worshipped idols. They were into child sacrifice. They loved it. They believed it was righteous. They were evil from the top to the bottom. Judah, which was comprised of the tribe of Judah and Benjamin, Benjamin was a part of that for the purposes of the kings, had a semblance of righteousness. But something got in their way. They ended up sinning. They ended up falling. But the fall of Judah 
was worse than the fall of Israel. The ten tribes. Why? The ten tribes were lost and gone like the democrats are. They're evil. Just like that piece said. But the, but the tribes of Judah and Benjamin had a semblance of righteousness. Do you see where I'm going? The democrats are Israel. Judah, the republicans. But the republicans will end up if they do not stay true to what they should be saying and don't shoot their mouth off and be filled with pride. And the reason we're coming to, if I can get to it, why they fell and what's required to be a good leader. If they don't do that, knowing the truth, the fall of the Republican Party will be greater than the demise of the Democrat Party, even though the Democrat Party is evil personified, magnified, manifested. So, next biblical point. Man, six weeks ago, I had said and gave a portion of the program to the comparison of Donald Trump to Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was brutish. Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar was sort of all the things you wouldn't necessarily choose Based on personality, he had a huge ego, so much so that he built a great big statue to himself and commanded people to bow down and worship. It's pretty much sounding like Trump here. Look, I've done this for you. Now you are going to be loyal to me or else. Sort of the bow down and worship thing. So filled with pride, so huge was his ego, Nebuchadnezzar's, that God reduced him to going around on fours like a cow eating grass. He lost his kingdom until what happened? Until Nebuchadnezzar repented of his ego and his pride, and God restored him. Six weeks ago on that program, I said Donald Trump is the Nebuchadnezzar. Donald Trump is the one who's out there demanding fealty from people, which has now been more manifested than ever in the last few days. Filled with pride, will God take him to the point of eating grass on all fours? Yeah, he is right now with the rise of Ron DeSantis. Is Trump done? I don't know. It depends, as I said six weeks ago, if Trump does not humble himself, if he does not humble himself and set his ego aside, God will set him aside. Nebuchadnezzar, without humbling, would never have returned to a place of position, power, and authority. Donald Trump, without humbling himself, is absolute toast, and he's done, and God will raise up somebody. And indeed, because he hasn't Maybe he is right now in Ron DeSantis. Because all we're seeing is more intensity and rage of the very thing that he needed to get rid of to continue to be used by God. Is it too late? Like I said, I don't know. I don't know. If Trump humbled himself, this would be the good test. If he humbled himself, would he be willing to be part of a DeSantis-Trump ticket. DeSantis running for president, Trump running for vice president. 
if he would not be willing to help the cause by functioning in that capacity, then he has yielded up nothing, he's repented of nothing, and his ego is going to destroy him, as it appears to be right now. So, I, you know, it's not like he listens to Red Sky Radio and the Robin Walters show to hear my warning. But I gave that warning, which has ter- turned to be prophetic. He's being destroyed by himself. It was up to Nebuchadnezzar whether he repented. It's up to Trump whether he humbles himself and becomes a team player and puts his personal political aspirations beneath the good of the country. Those political aspirations were for the good of the country, and the country was benefited by it. But now it's, I want to be charge, in charge at all costs. So if Trump doesn't humble himself, he is a goner. And he, he may have passed the point of no return. I don't know. If he doesn't change, he's certainly a goner, and he needs to do it quickly. I, I, and I would want him out, lest his ego destroys, and it would lest his ego would destroy everything he actually has accomplished and has done for this country because he's accomplished a lot and he has done a lot. But he could destroy everything he's worked for. He could, in the response to him, cause this country to go so militantly opposite of what good and righteous people want that it's the death knell. After all, we got three states that have enshrined abortion. I mean, you know, and the abortion issue is part of the reason the vote went the, that way. I'm not saying it's all Trump's fault. But it's the big mouth. It's the ego part of it that uh, God's saying, well, let, let me show you a thing or two here. You see, Saul never humbled himself. He never repented of his envy and jealousy. He died in battle. Nebuchadnezzar did repent, and he was restored. Donald, it is up to you. So this warning is indeed that. And you see, this is kind of interesting. What was causing the demise of the Democrats was their unreasonable attention to and hanging on to Joe Biden past Joe's time of usefulness. And Joe's time of usefulness was over the second that the election was called for him. Now now he just became the idiotic puppet. Maybe he always has been. He's never been a brainiac, that's for sure. He's just the idiotic puppet. And maybe his time of usefulness has not been completed until... Uh, the people, the puppeteers, uh, no longer can control him. But the Democrats are talking about dumping him because he's clearly a liability. Do they learn? I mean, like, do the Republicans hang on to Trump past his time of usefulness? I don't know. He's done a great job. I appreciate it. But many have said that if Donald Trump exits, so will many of those that he brought into the party. That was true before. It is not true now. Why? Because before DeSantis, 
There was no equal to Trump. Before DeSantis, there was no alternative to Trump. But now there is. Ron is easier on the eyes, the ears, and on the emotions. He seems to have a sacrificial heart. He has the guts and he has the nerves of Trump. He has the convictions of Trump. But he has the temperament of David. Not Saul. Therein lies the difference. And as far as bringing people into the party, I am going to hand it to Donald Trump. Yes, he has helped bring in many Hispanics, many blacks. In fact, it continues to worry the Democrats today. Just how many, even though the Republicans didn't have the red tsunami, just how many blacks and Hispanics went red. So Donald Trump did that. But let's face it, we have to. It was Ron DeSantis and not Trump that turned a 70%, 70, not 17, a 70% Hispanic Miami-Dade County into the red column. Ron DeSantis did that. He has brought more over than George Bush. Trump brought more over clearly than John McCain and Mitt Romney. They were losers. They were absolute losers. But Ron DeSantis is actually doing better and more of that, which Donald Trump did well. He's just doing it better. Because nobody really likes a prideful person. If he gets it done, does it right, yeah. I can put up with the narcissism, and I have, and I will, if he's a candidate in the future. But the time of Saul's usefulness is expired. The David has arisen, and it's in Ron DeSantis. Now, I'm going to get to my. I got to get to my next point here because I'm going to run out of time. Oh my goodness. Six years ago, the summer of 2016, I did an entire month, four hours of programming on the paradigm of why Donald Trump would win. When people said that he wouldn't, I was saying that he would. Based on 2 Kings chapter 10, verses 10, uh, 30 through 31 specifically, um, no, I'm sorry, that he'd win on based on 2 Kings, but i got to get to chapter 10, 30, 31 in just a second. I got ahead of myself. For, for an entire month, I explained why Donald Trump was Jehu, a rough man, a ruthless man, a man that cared for nothing. He didn't care who he offended. That was Donald Trump. Who did Jehu take out? Jezebel. Who was Jezebel? That was Hillary Clinton. Who was Hillary Clinton's husband? was Bill Clinton, a feckless eunuch, who was Jezebel's husband, Ahab, a feckless eunuch. Jezebel wore the pants. Ahab was a nothing. Hillary wore the pants. Billy boy was a nothing. Trump was the Jehu who came in and destroyed Hillary through his ruthlessness. The bull in the china shop was what had to be done to to kill Hillary. 
It was what had to be done to kill Jezebel, the bull in the china shop. He did it. And God went on to say, after Jezebel was killed, and after Jehu went on to kill 70 of Ahab's sons, and went on to kill all of Ahab's advisors, and he went on to kill everybody that worshipped Baal. There's more bloodshed, excuse me, in the book of Kings, Second Kings. There's pages where nothing but ungodly people died because of Jehu. And that was Trump's role in his job, getting killing, politically speaking, Hillary and draining the swamp, which he didn't get a chance to certainly do, not as completely as he wanted. However, as I said in that those four programs, as it says in Second Kings, chapter ten, verses thirty and thirty-one, that Jehu had done all that was in God's heart. God was behind Jezebel's execution and Hillary's defeat. God was behind the destruction of Ahab's children, 70 of his sons, and the killing of his advisors, and the killing of Baal. That God was behind Trump, no question about it. But what I also said, and I didn't dare to go too deeply into it, because... Not all paradigms are paradigms to the nth degree. Not all paradigms are played out 100%. Jonathan Kahn said everything, everything I said in 2016 about this is what Jonathan Kahn said in his book, The Paradigm, two years later. Now, I'm not suggesting that Kahn read my, read, heard the program. I'm not suggesting that I one-upped him to be the first. No, not at all. I've, all I'm saying is God will speak, spoke prophetically to me. He spoke prophetically to Khan. Khan's got a bigger microphone, and he disseminated that message. But something I touched on, Khan didn't. And maybe Khan is wiser, because like I said, you can't say a paradigm will fit all the way to the end. It's not necessarily 100% in its parallel and in its analogical application. But I did say my concern about Donald Trump, and I said this at the tail end of four hours of programming in the summer of 2016, and I said it once, and then and once since then, my concern, if the paradigm is complete, is, is, is played out to the nth degree, it goes on to say that Jehu, notwithstanding having been used by God, in all of those ways, Un absolutely, it said in the end, Jehu returned to worship Baal. I'm not saying Trump is going to go back to worshiping Baal, but here's what I'm saying. If his job is done, and he's over, and he's ex exiting, uh, he's taken himself out, by virtue of his ego and his pride and his malevolent behavior against a person who only wants good for the country like he does. If that happens, and I said it back then, I'm going to say it right now, my concern is that Donald Trump could become 
an enemy of that which is righteous. His jealousy and his rage, his envy, could cause him to become and or go back to the person he was prior to the elevator ride. Cause Jehu returns to the person he was prior to slaying Hillary and all of Ahab's sons and the prophets of Baal. If the paradigm is complete, Trump could end up being or will become by going back to what he was before the trip down the elevator, a man who was not particularly driven by any particular morals, just driven by that which God put in his heart to become and reign and give America a chance to do things right, get things right, and repent. Simply used. And when he was done with Jehu, he could be done with Trump. All of the signs at this point seem to indicate that unfortunately and sadly, Trump could be in the transition of going back to what a Jehu was before he was tapped. All because the envy and the jealousy and the covetousness that's overtaken him. And to a lesser degree, other Republicans who are out jostling to be Speaker of the House before they've won, trying to be the first one to predict the Republican tsunami. And here is why. This is my final point. It may be the most important. It's the requirements for biblical leadership. And I'm going to point out the difference between Democrats and Republicans here. It says in Exodus chapter 18, verse 21, Moreover, it's a command of Moses, you shall provide out of all the people able men such as, and they list, and there are three things listed here. Number one, that fear God, two, are men of truth, and number three, hate covetousness. And place them over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, rulers of tens. God lays out the requirement for biblical godly leadership, whether you are running for dog catcher in northern Indiana or whether you are running for president of the United States, the requirements are the same. Now, I want to tell you right now, the Democrats fail and fail miserably at all three. They are clear, clearly do not fear God because they politic on, premises, uh, on the premise and policies contrary to the word of God. They hate God. Are they men of truth? No. They're, they're congenital liars, absolutely genital, congenital liars. Do they hate covetousness? No. They want more than anything else to be in power. Now let's jump over to the Republican side, and we will see why what happened went on and why, why what happened happened. There are many Republicans that fear God. No question about it. There are many that are men and women of truth. And there are some that don't hate covetousness. 
and there are some that do hate covetousness. But there are way too many that don't hate covetousness. They want to be in charge. They want to be Speaker of the House. They want to be the first to say prophetically that they predicted the, the, the Republican tsunami. They want to be out there. They want to retain their power, their position, their privilege, their pension, their paycheck. And that is the derailing. That is why the Democrats represent all 41 evil kings in Israel of the ten tribes. And the Republicans represent Judah. You've got some good ones and you've got some bad ones. And the ones who did not hate covetousness were the ones shooting their mouth off and helped a whole bunch of good people stay home and a Donald Trump that frankly facilitated a lot of independents who were going to vote the issues for a change to decide not to vote the issues because they were Donald Trump's issues and he was the kingmaker in charge. Wow. I feel like this is one of the heaviest programs I've ever done, and I also feel like everything I've said, everything, none of it being of mine, but being of God. I was up at 1, I know I was up at 12, I was up at 2, I was up at 4, putting these different notes together for today's program, because when, when I awake... I no longer think, gosh, do I have to go to the bathroom again? No, I think, God, what do you have for me? Why am I awake? You have something for me. You heard what he had for me early this morning, late last night. And what do we do? Oh, my gosh. Obviously, it's the same thing I finish every program with, sit tall on the saddle of America, ride for the brand, the brand of Jesus Christ. But I want to tell you, I got a letter from an anonymous party in California I think they were upset, came from San Jose, upset that maybe I bash California too much. We should spend more time praying for California. Uh, that party, if you're hearing the program, I just want to let you know, I do pray for California. Not as much as I should. But I also know that faith without works is dead. So prayer for California, not associated with works, not associated with, re with people of good faith and righteousness standing up and regardless of the political consequences saying and doing what needs to be said. The covetousness among the Republicans in the state of California and nationwide only continues to grow. They don't want to be a distinct party opposite from the Democrats. They more want to be Democrats light a semblance of righteousness in some cases, but most of all, what do I need to do to get elected? What issues do I need to stay away from? They had all the issues in the world except the Democrats' love for the slaughter of the unborn. Did the Republicans stand up for life? No, they really didn't. A few did. Some did. Most simply went quiet. Faith without works is dead. This country is in trouble after this election more than it was in trouble before the election. That I'm going to share next week. 
and a program that I've already entitled The Suicide of America. Don't go away. I want to remind you, don't change. Sit tall in the saddle. You ride for the brand, the brand of Jesus Christ. God bless you. See you next time.